This is the Jocko Underground podcast number 25. I'm sitting here with Echo Charles, allegedly. Sure, sure allegedly. Uh, so I wanted to talk to something today to, to kick this off. Something I used to call the classic team guy overcorrection. So, so what this is, is guys would make a mistake, right? What a platoon would, or a platoon leader, or you know, a squad leader, or a fire team leader. Someone would make a mistake on a run. This is this is in the uh, advanced SEAL training, and I'd give them some kind of corrective measures, right? I would give them some feedback and some corrective measures that they could take, and nine times out of ten, they would do an overcorrection. Which, which I would then call the classic team guy overcorrection because that would be the next thing I'd tell them. I'd be, hey, you just did a classic team guy overcorrection. Mm-hmm. They would overcorrect it. If I told them they need to be more aggressive, they'd be freaking psycho aggressive. Mm. If I told them their plan was too simple, they'd go hyper complex. If I told them their t- plan was too complex, they'd make it so simple, it wouldn't get you anywhere. If I told them they were too loud moving to the target, they would be so quiet that it would take them an extra hour and it would fail. If I told them they were moving too fast, they would slow to a snail's pace. If I told them they were moving too slow, they'd freaking go Mach 9. Classic team guy overcorrection slash overreaction. So there's this, this doesn't only apply to SEALs. This applies to us as just humans. And that what I think applies to humans is we overcorrect, we overreact. That's what we do. You hear something, or someone says something to you, or something happens, and your initial reaction is gonna be an overreaction, mm-hmm. or an overcorrection of what you're doing. And what I'm saying is don't, don't do that. <laughs> I know this is really simple advice, mm-hmm. but don't do that. Mm-hmm. The way that you avoid doing this is by actually, by actually being aware that it's a thing, right? So that's what I would tell the guys. I'd say, listen, you're, I'm telling them, like, don't overcorrect this. Don't overreact to what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Be, just make a small adjustment, and that is going to, more likely going to be enough. The first report from the battlefield is always wrong. This is just another additional statement. When you hear something for the first time, it's probably wrong. And I've talked before about, the reasons it's wrong. It's wrong because you're hearing one person's perspective. Mm-hmm. So if something happens out on the battlefield and you give me a report, the only angle that you see is your angle. So how can that angle possibly see everything or give a complete picture? The answer is it can't. What about the fact that you're super emotional? That's all wrapped up in the first report. So the first report's not right. And so when you hear something for the first time, don't overreact to it. Don't overcorrect it. What else happens? The emotional part, that's the driver of your reaction. So it's already out of control. Something happens and you react to it. It's an emotional response. That's the initial response. It's an emotional one. So it's too much. So guess what we have to do? We have to, we have to counter that. We have to counter the overreaction. Guess what happens when we counter the overreaction? We overreact in the other mm. direction. And we end up porpoising, which I explained to Dave Burke the other day. Good deal, Dave. Yes. <laughs> we end up, we're a little too deep in the water mm. on our dive rig, so we come up 
And when we come up, we overcorrect, and now we're too shallow in the water, so then we overcorrect going back down, we end up porpoising, wasting a bunch of time and energy, and it's bad. So what I'm saying here is stay balanced. Don't, don't stay calm. Stay, stay balanced, stay <clears throat> calm, don't overreact. It's really, it's a really, it's a really simple concept. And it makes a big difference in the way your world goes forth. Yeah, that's uh, caught something you said, which kind of made a lot of sense. When you got to be aware, like be aware of mm-hmm. the the circumstances in which you are reacting in all likelihood overreacting. Mm-hmm. Right? Just being aware Just of it. Just being aware. Like that's kind of the the biggest step because it's like simple but not easy, right? Yeah. It's not easy because that thing creeps out of nowhere sometimes. So you want to create a trigger in your mind that when something happens, you got to say to yourself, don't overreact. Okay, so yeah, so I thought about that. The very next question is like when do you, like you kind of do this pretty naturally. Um, I'm assuming you've been doing this for a long time. Where you could essentially detach, right? Like, mm-hmm. remember, you know how we will talk off air about how detaching is essentially a superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when did you realize? Oh yeah, I'll just detach from an emotional standpoint. When you're just talking to like people, I guess, yeah. Like when do you when did you realize that? Because you can be like, think about like. Oh yeah, I just I just detach. But then it's like, what do I think about detaching all day, every day? No, that's not realistic. So it's like, what? Like, what are the triggers? Like, what? When did you realize? Like, okay, I can do this. I realized I needed to detach when I wrote about leadership strategy and tactics on the oil rig, all that stuff. Yeah. And but then I very quickly realized that it paid off in every situation, including having conversations with another human being, including any time I started getting emotional. And because if you think about why were all those guys staring down their weapons? Yeah, because they were, they were engrossed in what was in front of them, and I realized that was a bad thing. So I just st- stopped doing that. Yeah, the temper thing and the the emotional thing. I mean, how many times? I guess you know, really, when I saw the platoon commander that we had a mutiny against, and we, he was real emotional, mm-hmm. and I knew I recognized how bad that was. And then when Delta Charlie came in, not emotional, cool. Yeah, and I realized how cool it was to be cool. Okay, there you go. That is exactly what I was wondering. Because so that contrast in that environment where you were just paying attention, yeah, and then you get that contrast, those two situations back to back. It's like, oh yeah. man, the thing that's hard for me to explain or hard for me to pinpoint is why I was paying attention. That's the thing that's a little bit strange. Maybe puts me a little bit outside the ordinary box. Not saying good or bad. I'm just saying the fact that I was paying attention to that is a little strange. Yeah, it seems like when you kind of put it all together, it does make sense. Not to say that this is the explanation, but you know how, like you said, you're you were always aware that you just wanted to be a good seal, mm-hmm. and then you'd like look at people and be like, "Oh, I don't want to be like that," yeah. or "Oh, I like that," because kind of like you were looking for the model yeah. of good seal. You had like some kind of ambiguous yep. model in your head, had an idea, yep. yeah. Then tried and to then, hone it, yeah. And then when you saw actual people, you're like, "Oh, that there it is," and you're almost like mentally taking notes the whole time because you had that innate like desire to know that. 
And you know how that works with kind of everything. You know, mm. if you want to know about something or you're interested in something, you're always on the lookout for it kind of thing. So then you get this guy who you're just taking notes on how not to be. Yeah. Then you get that stark yeah. contrast. You're like, oh, Delta I see. Charlie. You know, yeah. So it's like just seared in your brain, you know, a little mm. bit more. That makes sense. And the oil rig story, I, I remember that. And I'm like, cool. But then, like, I guess translating that into like an emotional kind of situation where like you know just even everyday stuff with your friends or like yeah. with your wife or whoever and they say something use the wrong tone with you or some something come on bro it's not as obvious i you just know? saw so many loser situations like that yeah. you know what i'm saying even in like a seal platoon which is my whole life at that time right a seal platoon is it I would see somebody lose their temper and be like, oh, like, oh, you're losing your temper right now. Frost, like, imagine this, imagine this. Here's a really good example, because it's a, it's a really good example. If you're in the water, you're on a dive rig, mm -hmm. and you get tangled up in your gear, and you lose your temper, like you start freaking out, mm -hmm. you're, you're gonna cause problems. Now, I, I was in situations like, I'm, not, I'm talking like someone's gonna die, but you know, someone starts getting, We'd be all on the same swimmer line. You're underwater. It's dark, and someone starts getting tangled up and starts freaking out. Yeah, like bro, they start pulling stuff. Mm. Freaking idiots, bro. And so I remember so, thinking, like, what, dude, if you are gonna act like that, you're an idiot. Yeah. So the ability to remain calm is, and and by remaining calm, you're detached, right? You mm. can't. You're go, you you know they're one and the same almost. Yeah. Remain calm, be detached. But yeah, I remember seeing guys freak out about, you know, uh, especially underwater, because everybody knows, and there is that element. I said no one's gonna die, but everybody kind of knows if you're underwater and you have a situation unfold, and you freak out, your chances of survival are going down, not up. Yeah. So you have to learn to maintain your composure in the water. And if you can learn to maintain your composure in the water, and you know that's gonna help your survivability, well then guess what? When I'm on land, guess what I should do? Maintain my calm. It's true. Help my survivability. Yeah, yeah. I mean that kind of, it indicates that you kind of just start to see it everywhere. Where detaching, boom, that's just like this very valuable thing. Very, it's pretty rare. I mean, in my experience, anyway, I don't know about yours, but it's pretty rare that someone can actively do it that reliably, like you. Um. So yeah. So then you get boom, being aware of it, right? And then that's when you can correct appropriately. Appropriately. Yeah. yeah. Bro. So, you ever drank a what do you call like a THC drink? It's like a weed. You know, like you get weed brownies. No. Okay, so I was at this meeting, right? With actually one of, uh, remember Brian Moore? Yes. Okay, so I was I was in a meeting with him about some website stuff long time ago. And he's like, "Oh yeah, I got prescribed this these these uh sodas, pomegranate flavored sodas, but they're weed infused or whatever." I was like, "Oh yeah, I never had that, whatever." He's like, "You want one?" I was like, "Yeah, whatever. I'm down for the cause." So I drink it and I don't even drink the whole thing. And here's the thing. I'm used to like beer, 
out of the mm-hmm. you know in alcohol where you drink it and like a couple seconds later you feel it already you know it's like that kind but it's not like that with the weed infused soda mm-hmm. it like goes in it tastes like regular soda i'm like oh whatever i don't feel nothing this thing is weak probably weak you know mm-hmm. bro 45 minutes later like, it just all hits me at once. And I didn't even drink the whole thing. Like, maybe half, maybe three-quarters of it or whatever. And it hits me all at once. And I'm like, all, like, the bad feelings that you get that people say about weed, that's what I was feeling. Like, paranoid for no reason. Um, just out of it. Like, couldn't really pay attention. Couldn't remember what I was about to say and all this stuff. I'm, But I'm battling through the meeting, right? And then Brian goes, oh. He's like, bro, are you feeling that? Because I'm kind of feeling mine. Are you feeling it? And I'm thinking, oh, cool, that's good. He doesn't realize, like, how much I'm feeling it. So I'm like, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling it, whatever. But by the time it was time for me to leave, I was like, I was in no condition to function as a human being. So point is to my story. So I'm driving driving home. I don't know if I should have been driving. It didn't feel like it was impairing my ability to drive, but my mental state was, like, the opposite of detached. Like, I was so, oh. like, in my head, right? Okay, so it, it, it's a longer story. I'm going to shorten it. So I'm on the freeway. Thank you. <laughs> I'm on the freeway or the highway. It was, it was at night or whatever. Not very crowded, regular week, week night. So I'm on the highway. And then I'm in, I don't know what lane I'm in, but I see, like, I'm passing people, you know? So I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going too fast. So I slow down. And then I realize, like, people are just passing me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I went too slow. So I mm. speed up, and I just kept the whole way home. It was like that. I was just overcorrecting. Yeah. Couldn't, you weren't detached, and therefore you were overcorrecting. Just, yeah, the whole time, literally. So lesson learned, watch out for weed-infused sodas. Yes. And don't overreact. Yes, that's the lesson I took from it as well. Let's get to some questions. What do we got? All right, first question. First off, thank you both for what you do. The podcast is responsible for a huge overhaul of my life, and I just wanted to say thank you. Also, I feel a great sense of pride in being in the Jocko White Belt Club, so thank you. My question to you both is, through your journey to the Black Belt, have you ever experienced moments of plateauing, whether that be on the mat or in the weight room? If so, what are some of the things you did to overcome that? Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. Well, first of all, we didn't overhaul your life. You did. Um, so good job on you. Uh, have I ever plateaued? Have, yeah, absolutely. Um, in lifting and in training and in jujitsu and in life, plateaus. So what do you do? Well, what do I do? Change it up. A um, bunch of different ways to change, change it up. In jujitsu specifically, get some new training partners. And by that, I just mean like train with some different people in the class. Try new moves. That's a big one. Put yourself in bad positions. Put yourself in a position you don't like. Put yourself in a position you're not comfortable with. Put yourself there over and over and over again. I finally got. I was. I finally. I got some sweep on Dean Lish the other day. Mm -hmm. I got a a little sweep on him, and I was like, "Oh yes." But I mean, I must have tried it twenty times on you, twenty times on Wes, twenty times on Dean, another five times on you, five times on, and then finally got one. What sweep? Uh, it's like a. <clears throat> it's like a weird leg entanglement sweep type thing. Not the one you got me where you trap my foot and then kick the hip mm, and I no, fell against no, the no, fence. No, oh, okay. no, a different one. But my point is I tried it a bunch and it failed a bunch and then finally it worked. So don't expect when you try a new move it's going to work right away. In fact, it won't. Don't try it. Yeah, yeah the trying new move things, that's, 
here's one of the pitfalls to that. This is psychological, by the way. So sometimes people, other, some people can do that pursuit better than others, try new moves, right? So big one of the pitfalls that you got to watch out for is your mind when you get, especially when you get excited, you know, in a good way of you know for rolling with or sparring. It's like that part of your thinking goes out the window. Like you almost forget to do new moves. Mm. See what I'm saying? Because you're like, yeah, hey, I want to, especially early on, you're, you know. So if you, what you do is you go in with this mindset of subtracting moves that you always do, oh, like yeah. certain submissions, like, oh, I'm not allowed to do this submission. Or if you're talking, if you're focused on sweeps or whatever, like you just, you subtract the move and say, you're not allowed to do that, this whole thing. And especially if you really con- consciously tell yourself that, like make it an actual like bullet point in your head, like you can't do this submission. Yep. It, no it, footlocks or whatever. Yeah. Like you, it's it's pretty likely you won't do it. It can f- spawn off to a bunch of other stuff like excuses and all this other stuff. But you still, okay, you, you'll, you're more likely to accomplish that goal if, in fact, you're really trying to avoid that, that pitfall of forgetting to try new moves. Because it can happen. Yep. Even like even as, at advance. like. Yep. So you so you're in a plateau. You got to force yourself to try new moves. You got to force yourself to train with other people. You got to force yourself to drill those new moves. By the way, yeah. Dean gets on me because I I would rather roll right, given the choice, yeah. which I have full freedom of choice to do whatever I want yeah. when it comes to jujitsu. Yes, yeah, sir. And so that means I have the choice. And yeah. given the choice, I like to just roll and not drill something. So what do I do? Ninety nine percent of the time, just roll. roll. That's yeah. That's part, that's part of that that process. That's part where, of that that leads to a plateau. Plateau. Yeah. So got to get in there. Say all right. What's a new move? What's cool is going and find out where you're getting kind of stuck, mm. and then be like, you know, all right, hey, instructor or YouTube or whatever. What's a good move to do from here? Yeah. And then start trying some new stuff out. Yeah. Also, do competitions. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, not everyone can. You know. Th- Competitions are more available in different spots of the country or whatever. But the more you do co- competitive, so especially on your way up, the less plateaus you're going to hit, I True. think. And it's, that's probably for a bunch of reasons that I probably couldn't even name them all or whatever. But it's like it's crazy how much that improves you in jujitsu, just competing against other people. Yep. It's true. Check. Yeah, try that. Um, in lifting, yeah, let's switch it up. And lifting, that's a hard one to answer because in in the weight room, there's so many different goals in the weight room. Uh-huh. So if you're plateauing, you got to know what kind of goals you already have, and then how do you you know how do you bust past those plateaus in those specific goals? But I'm gonna say it's you're gonna need to mix it up though. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah that is. And um, you know, I wrote this in, in Way of the Warrior Kid too. Like he's having a hard time getting over whatever it was, ten pull ups, mm-hmm. and then Uncle Jake's like, cool. Take the day off, and the next time does like makes me three hundred pull ups or something. Yeah. Kind of just totally crushes that part of the workout, and then the next time he gets over the. So yeah. maybe a little rest is needed. Yeah. Right. You could be overtraining if you're hitting a plateau. Maybe a little rest is needed, and then maybe some focus. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of times it's just that simple where you can just rest and then change up the reps and change up the um, the weight. Yeah. As far as like your routine or whatever, and something as simple as that can get you past plateau for sure. All right. All right. Next question. I read your books and listen to your podcast religiously. Everything you say resonates very strongly with me, and I do my best to implement discipline in my life. However, I can't seem to stay on the path. I've struggled with poor self confidence from a very young age after being bullied, and now I'm 31 
and I still and I'm still feeling like a, a weak pathetic man I've dealt with anxiety and depression my whole life and I have unstable relationships and commitment issues on the surface things might look okay I work out seven days a week I eat well I have a degree and a good job but underneath it all I'm miserable I want commitment I want to be happy but I feel empty and alone how can I keep myself on the path and build a happy life with a committed relationship? Mm-hmm. Well, out of the gate, let me say this. This is number one, out of the gate. If you're kind of on a good path and you're doing the right kind of things and you still feel anxiety and depression, you should go to a mind mechanic, right? You should go to somebody that will be able to talk to you, will be able to understand. This is a psychologist. You probably heard me say mind mechanic. It. it because I never really understood what a psychologist was. It didn't make any sense to me. I kind of thought it was, you know, whatever. What's this guy, what's this, what's this quote, doctor going to do? And it wasn't until I had Jordan Peterson on my podcast, and all of a sudden I realized, oh, there's normal problems, little symptoms that people have, that human beings have. Mm-hmm. They get stuck in a rut. They have a problem. The engine light comes on, and one of these mind mechanics slash psychologists actually knows how to address these problems. Yeah. So, so that's number one. There's no shame in it. There's like, hey, man, you got a little issue. I don't know what the issue is, but there's people that know how to figure out what that issue is and then help you resolve that issue. So, so that's out of the gate, out of the gate. Another thing, and, and this uh, I heard uh, a very influential and, and wise philosopher one time say, um, his name was Echo Charles. Sure. And he said, don't focus on the belt. Which is, again, you were talking about, it was Echo Charles talking about when you got your black belt. And every time you focused on the belt, it wouldn't come. Whatever promotion you wanted. Whenever you were focused on getting promoted, it wouldn't come. And I feel like that's the same thing with kind of like life. If you're focused on being happy, it, it, it's kind of like focusing on the belt. Yeah, I, I would say don't focus on um, on the belt. Don't focus on like, how can I be happy? Um, and speaking of jujitsu, do some jujitsu. You know, it's a little depressing at first because you get choked <laughs> a lot, but in, in the long run, it's good for you. Um, a little bit about the, the sentence about confidence, right? Confidence comes when you when you get better at something, when you get good at something, when you when you feel good about what you're doing or something. Don't overexpose yourself in thinking you should feel confident. That's like um, exposure therapy, right? Mm. You know, if you're if you're scared of needles and I put you in a, I freaking start stabbing you with needles, you're gonna be worse off. So if you lack confidence in talking to strangers and I be like, okay, and I put you in a room with strangers and I tell you, you gotta talk to 10 of them, it's gonna make you worse, not better. Mm. So don't overexpose yourself looking for confidence. Build it. Build it over time. Sounds like you're confident with your job, that's a good place to start. Then you have a, you have a little confidence at work and then that can start to grow. Another, again, I haven't, you should go see a psychologist or a psychi- I guess psychologist, you should go to a psychologist, but don't focus on yourself, right? Focus on other people. You, in, 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 even in this question, like, I want to be happy, I want commitment, I work out, I did it, I, I, it's all about you. And 
again, to me, that's kind of like focusing on the belt. If we're focused on ourselves, there isn't always gratification. Talking about relationship, well, you want a, a happy life with a committed relationship. What are you, what are you looking for for a relationship? What, what is it that you want exactly? Sometimes the idea of a relationship is like what feels good. You like that idea, oh, I want someone to come home to or like something like that, which is legit. But what is it you actually want? And what are your expectations that you're expecting from somebody else? Because if you're out looking for, you know, Miss Perfect, I got bad news for you. Other than my wife, Miss Perfect doesn't exist, right? Too, by the and, way. and and yeah, Echo's wife, right? Of course, our wives are perfect. But guess what? If you're out there looking for them, you're not going to find them. They're already married. So what does that mean? That means you've got to figure out what are your expectations? What's What are you looking for exactly? Who is it? What characteristics do you want them to have? And, and are, are your expectations too high? Because if your expectations are too high, you're not going to find anyone that meets those expectations. And therefore, you won't be in a committed relationship. You won't be in any relationship. Now, am I saying settle for the first person that you roll up on? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying accept that other people aren't perfect. You're not perfect, by the way. You got a lot of baggage. And, and, and you're going to find someone that has baggage and that's not perfect. But if you can get together and, and start to grow together, you can you can get into a committed relationship. You know, I, I I've known people that are uh, have very very high standards, and it seems cool when they're twenty three, when they're twenty five, when they're twenty seven, and then all of a sudden they're 30, 35, 40, and they're they don't they're they're alone. It's cool that they had high expectations, but let's face it. If I'm only going to eat, um, you know, grass-fed ribeye steaks, and that's it, I might go hungry because <laughs> it can be hard to get a grass-fed ribeye steak. Sure. So don't don't do that. Um, help other people as much as you can. You know, like that's. I find that to be a, a gratifying way to to, to move forward. Um, you know, same thing with when I was talking about focusing on the belt. I was out surfing with Stoner, Seth Stone. And, he, you know, it was like a nice day. The waves were like maybe chest high, glassy, just mm. cru- just a, about as good as it gets for yeah. just a cruising day in SoCal. Oh, yeah. We're out surfing and, we you know, we were philosophizing about stuff and he you know he said something along the lines of like you know I, you know he's real um wears his emotions on his sleeves you know mm-hmm. real easy to read mm-hmm. i could see he was thinking about something mm-hmm. and uh he's like i don't know if i'm ever gonna find happiness and i was like i thought about it for about seven seconds mm-hmm. and i looked at him i said hey bro this is it this is it, man. Yeah. What are you looking for? Like, this is it. The journey that you're on in life, that's the happiness. The, 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 the good times that you have in life, that's the happiness. And guess what else is? The struggles that you face. Even the suffering is a form 
of happiness because you're growing. You're getting better. That's life. Life is happiness. It doesn't, happiness is not like, a, um, it, it, it's not this quantifiable end of the journey. You don't get there. Yeah. At, least, at least I haven't. I haven't been like, oh, cool, now I'm happy. Uh, uh, target achieved. Yeah. I don't think it's like that. And if it's like that, and you're constantly trying to find this thing, it's gonna be elusive. You have to realize that what you're doing right now, this is it, man. This is it. Life is not like a movie where everything works out. See, we get conditioned. It's like people that watch pornography. And all of a sudden, you know, they that's all they see. They think that that's the way, you know, that's the way love is. It's sure. like pornography. Like when's the when's the freaking um uh you know, neighbor going to come by with her twin sister. <laughs> you know, shouldn't that be happening to me? Yeah. So they think that every, every, they think that life is going to be this cinematic view with every turn that they take and, and every person that's in life is going to play this sort of predictable, perfect role. And it ain't like that. <laughs> and if you see that all the time, you can get conditioned to a point where you're not you're not setting a fair expectation on life. Man, life is freaking hard. Life is hard. It's challenging. It's not perfect. And there's plenty of people running around acting like their life is perfect, especially with social media and whatnot. Oh, here's me. I'm having another perfect keto meal. <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah, sure. I just got my new whatever vehicle. Yeah. Isn't it great to be back in the wherever islands? And like, there's plenty of people that are doing that. Mm-hmm. My kid is, my kids are perfect. My house is perfect. Like, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You ever seen the movie Blue Velvet? No. Damn. I've never bro. even heard of that. Damn. Weird stuff. Well, the whole movie starts out. And it starts out like at a level above like a yard, Mm. meaning the camera view is of like a quaint looking little yard. Mm -hmm. And then it just goes down, 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 meaning getting closer and closer to the ground until you see like the the earth Mm. and like the bugs eating each other. (laughs) And it's a metaphor for, hey man, everything looks cool on the surface. Looks like a nice little happy thing. And that's what the movie kind of breaks down. What looks like a kind of nice little happy community (laughs) is a little bit deranged. That's what it's like. Yeah. That's what it's like. So you might be feeling like a weak, pathetic man, but, and you think you're the only one that's feeling like that. You think that everyone's walking around like, I got this. Yeah. But they've got their own insecurities. Even the big, strong, uh, you know, buff guy. Got all kinds of weird insecurities about this and failed that and dropped out of here. And like, they got everyone's got their issues. So, that's my recommendation. Number one, get a, get a mind mechanic, get a psychologist, go see a therapist to help you. And in the meantime, don't expect life to be a, a movie with a happy ending. Not there. Happiness is 
being in the movie <laughs> and you're in it dude that's uh that's crazy I never thought of that, even though I feel like I kind of should have for some reason. Which part? The movie part. Like you kind of, you know, at the end of the movie, happily ever after, right? There's your happiness because it's like, so it kind of portrays happiness as this sort of end result Mm -hmm. that you kind of get. Like, oh, good. You put in all this work. You learned all these lessons. Here's your happiness. And then they kind of get happiness kind of bestowed upon them. That's the feeling you Mm -hmm. get at the end of the movie or as far as that happily ever after movie goes. Um, so you kind of do feel like that. And I'm going to be honest. I kind of have felt that way too, where I'm like, once I do this, then then I'll be happier. Once mm-hmm. I make it here, once I get this, or once I achieve this or whatever, I'll be happier or whatever. But it, like, it just never comes. But the weird times where I do feel it is when I reflect on all kinds of stuff that I wasn't really thinking about at the time. But oh, when I yeah. reflect, I'm like, oh, that was freaking like how many times even you say this like a lot where you'd be like the happiest times of my life, you know, mm-hmm. where it's only it's not that often. I mean, it depends on who you are, obviously. But usually you don't realize that that was like the happiest time of your life until you like reflect on yep. it, you know, because you well, can kind of see the whole journey already played out when we had Mike Glover on the podcast and he was on deployment in Afghanistan, Iraq and everything. And I could, if you'll notice him, I asked him a few times, like, did you realize? Cause he was on right. cool deployments yeah. at hard deployments for sure. But nonetheless, kind of what we as people, what we as special operations guys, what we want to do. And I was like, did you realize what? And he was like, yeah. yeah. And I, see, I was lucky cause I was older. Yeah. Even when I was a platoon commander, I went to my first deployment to Baghdad. I knew that was like heaven for me. I knew every single day, every single op, I was like, thank thank God I get to do this. Ramadi, same thing. Every day I was like, thank, I know how lucky I am to be here. This is everything I've wanted to do my whole life and I'm here. And mm-hmm. I knew it every single day. Yep. Yeah. And going surfing with Stoner on a freaking Tuesday afternoon where people aren't out of work yet and there happens to be no wind and there's nice little chest high waves. <laughs> I know that's good, man. Yeah. I know that's it. Yeah. Don't be looking for the belt. Yeah, that's. Um, Don't focus on the belt. That's weird. You mentioned that too, because like when when I was competing in jujitsu, I never really realized that. But it wasn't until I was like totally done competing, and mostly it would be when I'd roll with you. Mm-hmm. Like I'd have those like hardcore moments of reflection. Like, man, I'm so happy that I do this, like that I'm into doing this. Same thing with surfing, I yeah. would imagine. It's a lot easier to kind of kind of reflect, be mindful, for lack of a better way of putting it, when you're doing that kind of stuff. But when you're caught up in the, the your everyday life, you know, it's like I think it might be harder to do that. Yeah. So and, and then, you know what, the other thing too, with the movie analogy, you actually have that playing out way more often than not nowadays because of, like I said, social media. Mm-hmm. Social media is like the modern version of that movie. You yep. said pornography, which is, it sounded funny at the time, but it's a really strong example yep. because it's, that's like, it's real impactful, you know, like. Yep. A, 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 well, people get addicted to it. Yeah, because. And this, it doesn't ampl- it doesn't help their life. Yeah. So and so the sexual and love part of like a human being's life is like a, that's a prime. It's like a, it's a strong part of life. So you get pornography, which is a total mutation of it. It's like it's kind of like what fast food is for nutrition, you know, <laughs> where it's like, brother, that's not how a real 
like real food kind of tastes, you know, you're going to, and if you only eat that, you're going to have this morphed, warped version of what you think eating, good eating is, right? That's just, again, a side example, whatever. But when you watch movies, that's yet another way of morphing your expectations of reality. And then now you got social media, which is now it's just a constant stream. It's not just every other night with your friends watching movies or every weekend or whatever. It's every single day, which is, it's not a movie, but it plays the same role as far as it's, it's, um, miss, not, perceiving yeah. reality correctly you're right. perceiving it like how you said and here's the weird thing about social media which which i haven't heard many people talk about sure it's everyone else's highlight reel meanwhile even if you're posting your highlight reel too the same way they are you have to live with your yeah. fuck, everything your else reality. your reality <laughs> so it doesn't seem like a highlight reel to you so you see everyone else's highlight reel but what another thing people don't talk about which drives this is helps drive it is you get people every once in a while, depending on who you follow, you'll get people who all they'll do is they'll post like depressing stuff about themselves in hopes of support, you know, like, Oh, I'm struggling with this and I finally got on track. But then I, you know, like they'll post that kind of stuff as well. So again, that just adds to the, the deviation from real life. It's kind of like, okay, we have excellent people. Then we have depressed people (laughs) on here. And I identify more with the depressed person. Or they just sit back and be like, okay, at least I'm not that depressed person, but I'm, I still have this boring hum. My life is a boring hum compared to everyone else kind of a thing. And it just gets reinforced and reinforced every day or every time you're on there. So now, boom, at the end of the day, what are you left with? You're kind of left with this weird warped version of training your mind to think a certain way. And then, boom, you, can, you even know, like, on paper, you have a good job. You work out all the time, all this stuff. Meanwhile, like, something else is going on in your head, mm-hmm. probably because of some other input you are getting or have got or something like that. That's what it seems like anyway. Yeah, that's why I strongly recommend getting a therapist to help you find out what that other thing is so that you can move past it. You ever heard of someone getting off social media completely? Actually, sorry. It's called a, a, a dopamine fast or some mm, kind yeah, of fast. Yeah, you ever yeah, heard of that? Yeah. Yeah, so I hear great things about that. I mean, I don't, I haven't done it or nothing like that, but I hear great things about that. That it like it can kind of like reset your reality or whatever. Seems like a good idea. It totally does. Yeah, but yeah, maybe try that one. Yeah, could help. All right, next question. Next question. Being in law enforcement, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is something I've thought about starting for a while. Hearing the way you guys talk about it was the, was the last push I needed to get signed up. I've listened to your podcast on finding a good jiu-jitsu school, and I've found two to three close by. Some of these teach Gracie jiu-jitsu. My question is, what are the main differences between Gracie jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu? What have your experiences been with each type? My understanding is that Gracie focuses more on self-defense and less on competition, which makes it appealing in my line of work. However, I've also heard that Gracie is more structured, and you need to have, have to take a set of a set class in a set order, which would be difficult with shift work. Any advice would be appreciated. So essentially, like bottom line up front, as they say, there's no real big difference. There's no, it says what's the main difference. There isn't really that much of a main difference between Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You're good. You find a school that's Gracie Jiu-Jitsu or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there's a 99% chance it's a legit school. There's a 1% chance that it's 
not a legit school, and even that's pretty rare these days because the internet just will call people out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, like you could be, generally I think people think of the Gracie Academy yes, sir. in Torrance, California, um, but you also have Henzo Gracie, right? There's there's more, there's Hickson Gracie, there's Cron Gracie, there's a bunch of other Gracies out there that are all teaching First name Gracie, first name followed by Gracie, followed by Jiu Jitsu. And guess what? They're all freaking legit. Um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, maybe it's the person does not have the Gracie name in their family. And so they might call it Brazilian Jiu Jitsu because the Gracie Jiu Jitsu is a patented, whatever, trademarked item. So you can't just open up a school mm-hmm. any more than you could open up a McDonald's that sells hamburgers. But you could open up a you know, Echo Charles uh, bur- hamburgers, and they could be really good burgers. Mm-hmm. In fact, in some ways, they could be better than McDonald's burgers. So, um, and, and then the, the like the very specific question is like, one's more structured. There's some non-Gracie Jiu-Jitsu schools that are more structured than the Gracie school. There's some that are less structured than the Gracie school. What I would do if I were in your situation is I would go and check out some of the classes at these two to three different gyms. I would see which one I like the best. I'd try a week at each one, mm-hmm. and then I would make a decision. Most places are pretty cool about letting you try out a class or two. Maybe it's not a whole week, but maybe it's a class or two. Get to know the instructors, get to know the students. Because yeah. what are the students' goals? What are they trying to get done? Are they a bunch of people that are drilling for competition in the, in the, in the IBJJF? They could be, mm-hmm. and then maybe that's not quite what you're looking for. Maybe you're looking for people that are more, quote, self-defense oriented. I don't think, the, the thing about self-defense oriented schools in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, when you're a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like, we don't really need to focus on self-defense that hard. Hey, occasionally put on the gloves. Occasionally maybe throw a weapon in there. Maybe do some multiple attackers. But, like, there's not this huge deviation between a school that, quote, focuses on self-defense and one that, quote, focuses on competition. In fact, I would be, if, if someone's like, hey, we do self-defense here, that's almost a little bit weird for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is self-defense. There ain't no reason to, f- quote, focus on self-defense. You're training Jiu-Jitsu, you're training self-defense. Yeah. So go try the schools, pick one that's close to your either close to your house or close to your work where it makes it convenient as possible. That that weighs heavy. Yeah. We don't want to have to drive 48 minutes to go train for one hour and then drive 48 minutes home. Um, this is not, this is not this really complex, mysterious thing. Yeah. Dude, it's like, go start training some classes. Yeah. That's the, that's the, that's the broad advice. That makes sense, though, from an out, you know, a beginner or outsider right. or whatever. I get it. That's true, man. It's like so confusing because yep. it's like Gracie and Brazilian and all these different terms. Like, bro, I think that with a lot of stuff, where I don't know when, like, you can have ten things that technically have a difference, technically, mm-hmm. but I won't know anything about those differences until I'm ten years in. Yep. You know, and then even then, it's like, really, who cares at the end of the day for my goals? You know, yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah, like if if one of these was Japanese jujitsu, now we're talking about a it's very different. different thing. Yes, sir. Exactly right. So yeah, the, so to answer his question as a non, like he didn't start yet, there's there's not that much difference. Yeah. And if, if, okay, here's the one thing that might be a little thing. 
a little difference. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu is, yeah, it's a self-defense thing. <clears throat> you start knowing more and more Jiu-Jitsu, you're going to be way better and better and better and better at self-defense, yeah. fighting somebody, fighting someone off of you, all this stuff. You're going to get better and better. That's, yep. that's it. Cross being, the board. A, being a police officer, handling people, handling suspects, you'll be better at all that stuff. All that stuff. Now, if you go in thinking, oh, yeah, everything I learn in Jiu-Jitsu is going to apply to my day as a policeman, then maybe not so mm. much. Now, however, every once in a while, you'll get a school who has like an offshoot, like a police, yep. uh, a police program, yep. you know, that is a little bit more focused, but that's a separate thing, yep. usually attached to the school, but yep. it's, it's separate. Yep. And you could get to a school where it's like total gi competition focus. Yes. Again, there's the, you, I would be surprised if one of these schools is like that. But you could end up at a school where they're super gi, barambolo, yeah. like freaking dragon tail, doing yeah. all kinds of fancy gi, gi-centric moves. Yeah. The chances of that are very small. Um, so I would go try some of these places out, yeah. talk to the students. Well, hey, what, what do you do? What do you, what do you train here? You're going to run another cops, guaranteed. Yeah. Every jiu-jitsu school has got four or five cops going to it. Yeah. Talk to them. Yeah, see what they think. Yep. So really at the end of the day, and this is just something to kind of take with you if, you if this is your question, it's less about whether it says Gracie or what Gracie it says or Brazilian. It's less about that. It's more about what the instructor kind of holds to be the priority mm-hmm. in the in the school. So like, you know, these uh, like I said, the schools where it's like they only do gi and then you, you go in the class and then they're teaching like a bunch of stuff where they're unwrapping your lapel and like flipping underneath you, which is all viable in competition, yeah, yeah, yeah. but might not translate into your interests in that way. That, but aside from that, it's kind of like, man, you're going to learn jujitsu yeah, as a white belt, and bro, you're just going to be better yeah. for it. And by the way, that move where they're untying your lapel and feeding it in between your legs and back across your left wrist, you're not learning that for another two years. No. You got all kinds of stuff to learn first, yeah. which is all practical for self-defense and police work. So. Man, start training jujitsu. Yep. Yeah, the best advice is go to the class. Usually they offer a free class. See see the vibe. Here's the red flags is if they're like, okay, you got to buy our stuff and yeah. you have to buy it too. Otherwise, you can't. So they kind of trap you in that where it's like, okay, here's your membership fee. Oh, by the way, you it's mandatory that you buy our team stuff. You can't buy like mm-hmm. other stuff or use your existing stuff. You got to buy our team stuff. Oh, it costs this much, and you got to buy a patch. So it's like that kind of stuff. Eh. But but if you like the class, yep. if you like the school, if you don't mind that kind of stuff, that's fine too. Because yep. at the end of the day, it's about what you learn, which is yep. jujitsu. It's a little bit of a red flag, but it's not. It's like more like an amber flag. Amber flag. Yeah, it's yeah, a good. Because you're like, oh wait a second, um, why do I need to have this specific thing? And look. You want to know one of the reasons they're running a business and they need to pay bills and pay rent and all that other stuff. So there is some, and it's part of like representing the team and you want to be part of the team and part of the club and that's what we're doing. And you're supporting the club by flying the colors. Like this is normal stuff. You don't go to a, you don't go to a freaking, uh, uh, a soccer team and join a soccer team and like, no, I'm not wearing their uniform. Like you wouldn't even think of doing that. Yeah. So there, it is a viable thing. It's like, it's just one of the things to assess and to assess from your own Personality and and like dude, if you're if you're short on money and you go, hey, listen, instructor, I, I, I there's no way I can afford you know to pay 170 dollars for this gi with the patches. Can I 
and you know they'll probably talk you through it and be like, "Oh, cool, mm-hmm. let's 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 figure it out." Figure it out. So, yep. So yeah, take that free class if you like divine. Take you said two to three close by. Try all three. Yeah, try them. Whatever's the best one for you. Boom, mm-hmm. that's the one you join. Next question. After listening to two set episode two seventy eight with John Dudley, I was left grappling with the fact that Echo does not surf. Need more context to this. Echo's recent affinity for shredding. The fresh powder is a pow, snow pow. Pow, pow, yes. As a snowboarder would lead one to believe the pr- prerequisite balance athleticism are in place. Why and how has Jocko not pulled you into the surf vortex? Is it an invite issue? Fear of sharks, etc. Uh yeah. Well what's weird about me is I just see that invite issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I basically don't invite anybody to do anything at any time. Mm-hmm. I mean, like seriously, have I ever invited you to do something? Uh, uh, except for one thing, roll. Yeah, uh, yeah. To I mean, to to be completely, you did invite me to go surfing. You did. You do. Uh, did invite I really? Me to, yeah. But it was like a Jocko invite. It wasn't like, hey, let's go surfing tomorrow, or would you like to come surfing with me? It what wasn't did I say? It. like, why don't you come surfing? Or it was something like oh, that. Okay. Um and. And yeah, jujitsu you do, um, but I'm not like hey, UFC you fight. Yeah, sometimes. occasional UFC fight. Yeah, um, but it's hard to get you out of your house for UFC. It's just as hard to get me out of my house for UFC. Yeah, actually, I I kind of recently changed my mind about that. Side note, where you know, like that because it's a comfort zone thing. It's I'm sure there's some practical things in there where it's like you know you don't want to get a, get out of your house for the UFC, but it's actually good for your health to get out. And like do things with your friends. Yeah, I'm not real superb at that. Stuff. You don't care about your health. Not that you hate um, health. No, I like health. I would just say that I'm doing a lot of stuff for my health, and part of part of what's good for me is like to not go out on a Saturday night and get and the fight ends at ten twenty eight, and you got to drive home. Now it's eleven. Now I'm in bed by eleven thirty. Like and now you know it's like yep. there's a whole bunch of things. When I'm watching the UFC. Mm. In between the co-main event and the main event, I'm upstairs brushing my teeth, flossing, walk back downstairs, watch the fight. So that way there's no, when it's over, it's over. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. You've never, you you did actually, you gave me a little bit of indication that you were interested in getting in the water. Yeah. So, hey man, you want to go surfing? Let me know. We can make it happen. We have the technology. Yeah. We have Josh Hall surfboards. Yeah. We have, um, yeah. Got the That's team it. and the capability to make yeah. that happen. Now, yeah. fundamentally, from a philosophical standpoint, there's enough surfers already. We don't need any more. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. We don't. We're not. We're not openly inviting people into you know learn surfing. Yeah. So, that's not what we're doing as a tribe. So, Uncle, uh, I went. I recently came back from Koi. I was talking to my cousin, Camus Cook, and she's a surfer. Mm-hmm. So she, when she first moved to Kauai, when she was, you know, however old, mm-hmm. 17 or whatever, um, you know, she'd go out to surf and she found like many good surf spots, which Kauai has many of, that it's real territorial there, right? And then, so we just basically contemplated the different sides of the issue. Mm-hmm. Like, should it be territorial? Because there's some benefits to that. There's only so yep. much room out there and there's only so many waves I mean, they're endless in a way, but as far as a surf session, there are only so many ways because not everyone can jump on a wave. Mm -hmm. In fact, you jump on the wave at the wrong time, you violated some of the rules out there. 
So it makes sense to have cracks. Yeah, yeah, cracks all day. And so you kind of got to earn your way into the lineup a little mm-hmm. bit. Actually, not even a little bit, a lot. A lot. And especially and some places are that's a huge deal, huge deal. So you got that. But then on the other side of the issue, it's like, man, why can't we all just kind of get along? You know, like mm-hmm. you don't own the waves. Because limited resources. Yes, I know that, but you don't own that resource. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, but I get it. I, trust me, I value the territorial element of it more so than the hey, these waves are for everyone. I don't see your name on them. You ever seen North Shore? That's what mm-hmm. you said. Wrong, wrong deal, by the way. But anyway, so I do know you're correct when there when you say yeah, there's too many surfers. So we're talking about that. Um, here's a conclusion we came to as far as new surfers go. There are places to go be a new surfer. That and there are true. places to be an intermediate surfer and there's places that you got to earn and you get a little bit of an audition too at these places where you got to be a good surfer. You got to be kind of accepted in, you know, you, you might not get cracks for showing up as a new guy or whatever, but you might even get let, you, they might even let you go take a wave, but you better represent and you mm. got to kind of show that you do belong there, you know? And if you don't, you're just wasting waves kind of a situation. So, so that is true. There, there are enough surfers, but I think there's room for one more. Okay. Well, let me know. Yeah. We'll get you in the water. Um, cool. We'll see how it works out. <laughs> no, the one thing that's good is I know that you are a waterman. Like you grew sure. up, you grew up in the water. You know how to swim. You, you did. Uh, you're a sponger. Sure. Because um, there's people that are not like that. Oh yeah. And then is a real problem. Yes. Yeah, even if you grew up in the water, like. In lakes in the pool or whatever, you go with waves and surf waves. Well, it depends on how big they are or whatever, but waves are just a whole different thing. Yeah. It's almost like a whole different in- environment. It is a whole different environment. All the way down to the physical feeling of salt water versus not salt or fresh mm-hmm. water. Yeah, it's different. Mm-hmm. But I'm used to that. In fact, I was, I mean, nowadays. What I mean, about that cold water, though? Oh, the cold ocean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wear a wetsuit, whatever. See, I, that's one thing that's interesting about surfing is. Like in San Diego, there's two million people that live in San Diego, mm-hmm. and even though it's crowded surfing, there's not two million people in the water because yeah. surfing is hard. Yeah, it's not comfortable. It's cold. If you want to surf, you know you got to be in good, reasonably good shape. So yeah. it does self-select a little bit. Gets yeah. rid of the people that don't really want to do it. But yeah. check. All right. Next question. Let's do one more. Last question. How's that? My name is Jordan. I'm 15 and a freshman in high school. I'm homeschooled. I've wanted to be in the military for as long as I can remember. I'd like to join the Marine Corps or the SEALs. My mom wants me to join the Air Force or ROTC, but I want to join at 18 and go through the basic training. I would like your opinion on the best possible option. I know God has it in control. I'd like to. I'd like the advice from a professional. Thank you for your service. Um, well, I would actually talk to your mom and like see what it is that she what appeals to her about Air Force slash or ROTC, which those are two different things. But why is she talking about the Air Force? Why is she talking about ROTC? What experience does she have? What is it that she sees? That makes the Air Force or ROTC more viable? Is it education? Is it job opportunities? So I would get that information from your mom. I don't even know anything about your mom. Is she a veteran? I don't know. Does she have, was her dad in? Like what, where is she getting this information from? Is her information valid? May or may not be. 
If she just watched movies and that's what she's making her assessment based on, that's not really valid information. So find out, ask your mom some questions and find out what it is that appeals to her about either the Air Force or ROTC. And then you gotta ask yourself why you wanna join the Marine Corps or why you wanna join the SEAL teams. You know, 80% of people don't make it through SEAL training. And of course, you know what? No one thinks that that person is gonna be them. And guess what? It's 80% of them. There's no one that joins the Navy to be a SEAL that doesn't think they're gonna make it. You know how many people think they're gonna make it? 100% of people that join the Navy think they're gonna make it, and 80% of them don't. So that means 100% of people feel the same way that you do right now, which is I could make it through the training. And 80% of those people don't make it. So joining the trying to join the SEAL teams is a huge risk. It's a huge risk, and by the way, it's a risk with a bad outcome because if you don't make it, you're in the Navy, and if you want to be in the Marine Corps or in the SEAL teams and you end up in the regular Navy, it's not fun. So why we, so, so you gotta ask yourself why, what is it, or the Marine Corps, what is it that you like about the Marine Corps? Why do you like that job? Um, this is a big decision, and you need to do analysis and listens to all aspects of this decision. And by the way, good news, you've got three years to make this decision. You can talk to actual Marines, you can talk to Marine recruiters, you can talk to actual Air Force people, you can talk to Air Force recruiters, you can talk to Navy people, you can talk to SEALs, you can figure out what it is they like and what they don't like about their job. I mean, you may not even know at 15 years old what the SEAL teams does right now. What they, what does the day in the life of a SEAL look like? What's the day in the life of the Marine Corps look, look like? And by the way, there's different jobs in the Marine Corps that look totally different from other jobs in the Marine Corps. So if you talk to people, what do they like? What do they not like? You, you got to understand the mission. You got to understand the lifestyles, right? Like, oh, I want to be, I want to be in the army. Cool. You might get stationed in a very bizarre place that you don't want to live. You might want to start a family. You might think you're, hey, you know, I want to start a family someday. And you realize if you start a family and you're in the SEAL teams, you're probably going to be stationed or there's a good chance you're stationed in San Diego, California, which means you can't buy a house. You don't have any land. That's not good. You might real so, so what about the deployment schedules? How often is the Army deploying? How often is the Air Force deploying? Maybe you want to go on deployment. Some, some elements in the Air Force never go on deployment. So there's all this information that you, all this knowledge that you need to gain about these various fields and not just what sounds cool about the jobs, but what are the negatives, what are the drawbacks, what are the pros and cons of each one of these options that you have. And then and only then you have to make a decision on what you want to do. Not your mom, not me, but you need to make the decision because you are the one that is going to have to live with it. Do some research, learn, get educated. That's the best thing you can do. Luckily, you got three years to do it. <sighs> with that, anything else, Echo? Negative. All right, well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting the cause on the underground. We appreciate it. We. We'll keep doing this.
The support's been awesome. We appreciate the questions you're submitting. Thanks for supporting JockoFuel.com and OriginUSA.com and, well, EchelonFront.com. Thanks for getting the books and everything else. You know where we are on the interwebs, at Equitrolls and at Jocko Willink. And we will continue to maintain, with your support, this, this little domicile of freedom known only as the underground. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko.